Welcome to Theodora Speaks, a podcast series celebrating risk-taking women who have successfully failed forward on their journey to reinvent their professional careers and follow their dreams. Realizing that I can have it all, but not at the same time, I created a community for women in STEAM to help them uplevel their risk-taking skills when it comes to having a positive impact on gender inclusion while feeling fulfilled in their careers. Visit gailkeller.org for more information and sign up for my newsletters to be kept in the know on my service offerings. Thank you for listening to Theodora Speaks. You have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I am elated and grateful you are here. The theme of this conversation is uncorking opportunity. In this episode, we decant how leadership, like wine, is both art and science with Donna Brighton, Chief Idea Officer at the Brighton Leadership Group, Rebel Leader Founder, LinkedIn Learning Instructor, and a Culture and Change Senior Advisor at M&A Partners. I asked Donna to be a guest on my podcast to highlight one of her many accomplishments, Leadership Uncorked. If you know me, it is no secret I enjoy a glass of wine from time to time. Yes, I find wine delicious, but it is what wine decants that I enjoy the most. The legs of conversation and the bouquet of relationships and friendships that often are accomplished when you uncork the bottle and pour a glass of fragrant communication. Wine has a way of bringing people together to share a common interest while swirling conversation around the room. Donna is very bright and talented. She is a visionary. If she puts her mind to something, she sees it through with success. Donna lives her life with intention, and that is quite notable. Listen for when Donna shares the importance of why she says she lives her life with clear intentions. As Frank Sinatra would say, I will drink the wine. And as Ricky Martin would say, Donna is living la vida loca. Today, we will cover topics from leadership to wine to uncorking opportunities to increase effectiveness to living life with intention. Welcome, Donna, and thank you for being with us. Hi, Gail. Delighted to be here, and welcome to the whole audience that's out there listening. Yes, and we're talking to you from sunny Scottsdale, one of my most favorite towns in all the land. Mine as well. Yes. (laughs) So you are denoted for uncorking connections. You're the founder of a few leadership companies, a couple which house executive events. You've written a book, reinvented yourself a time or two, and so much more. But most notably, Donna, you're denoted as a culture change strategist. Share with us what that means. All right. Well, Gail, would it be okay if I give you a little bit of the history of how I got there to even be able to do culture change strategy? I love it. Please do. Okay. So um, let me take you back to when I was a little girl, I used to play business because I was always fascinated by this concept of business. So fast forward to college, I studied accounting because I thought whoever counted the gold had something to do with making the rules. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I fast realized once I left college and went to work for Coopers and Lyburn that that was not exactly what I was cut out to do. But it gave me an incredible foundation in understanding business. So from that, I was like, how can I create value in an organization and really deliver something that mattered, right? So I leveraged that and transitioned into back in the day, whenever computers were just coming out, I started doing system implementations. 
And I went into um, running ERP implementations, which led me into project management. I ran a large ERP practice. And then I realized there was something missing from project management because you could organize a project and it could be super successful. And then you went live and it didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to, mm -hmm. which was a result of the people part because we can be really successful as systems, but if we didn't pay attention to people, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So that got me intrigued in the area of organizational change. So I studied that, got really familiar. And then I was like, all right, well, this change stuff's really good and we've got excellent project management, great change management, but it's still missing something. And that is where the culture piece came in. Now, a lot of people are like, all right, so what exactly is culture? And there's lots of complicated definitions and models and so on. Culture change strategy is nothing more than recognizing that within an organization, there are these cultural norms that either help or hinder whatever change you're trying to make. So my goal is helping leaders be intentional about understanding those precise or precise strategies, you know, those things that they need to accomplish and the connection between that and their culture. Mm -hmm. Because culture always needs to drive strategy. And so we connect culture, change, and strategy. And there you have culture change strategist. I love it. I love it. So you and I have ERP implementations in common, me coming from the Microsoft background and working on that solution. And you're right. I mean, technology is a wonderful thing, but if you don't have the people and the processes in place, the technology isn't going to work. It's not going to solve the problems at the very core. And I like to say there, Gail, that technology simply makes problems go faster. Go back to when you were a kid, you used to play business. Well, I, I, I don't exactly remember. I just remember um, this is where my addiction to office supplies began. <laughs> I can walk into any store and not buy something except for a bookstore and an office supply store. I must always purchase office supplies for whatever reason. But I would I remember having file folders and pens and I, you know, like tracking thing. I, I don't really know. Um, there was of course a cash register because you need to have profit in order to mm -hmm. right have a business. And I just my whole life was intrigued by this idea of business. And here you are today. So you're definitely a visionary amongst many other accolades in your life. So you've been deemed, Donna, energetic, we can tell in the first few minutes of this conversation, compassionate, empathetic, results-oriented. So take us back to that light bulb moment you were talking about that was, you know, tugging at your heartstrings when you created mm -hmm. Brighton Leadership Group. I actually, that is a name that I picked off a street sign. Really? Yes. Come on, your last name? Yes. Oh my gosh. Brighton in Michigan? Uh-huh. No, it was actually on a drive from Cleveland to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. I had just gotten a divorce and I was like, I need a new name. I was starting my business, right? And I didn't want my ex-husband's name. And I said, I don't want to go back to my maiden name because I'm not that person anymore. I need a new name. Wow. Donna. So we're driving along. My friend looks over and there's an exit for Brighton, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And he goes, how about Donna Brighton? I said, yes, it's Donna Brighton, the dawn of a bright new day. And there you go. Oh my gosh. 
But I didn't see that coming. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I literally. So there you go for reinvention, Gail. Yes. I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And it also, it also connects to how you talk about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the best thing. People will be like, oh yeah, you're so bright. And I'm like, ha 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 ha. Like I picked that name, right? It's like, what is the name or the words that you use? What is that representing? Right. So. And talk about risk and reinvention. There you go. In the divorce. And then you're not that person anymore. So you changed your name. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, when I share that story, I'm, I always, I'll say like, I'm not telling you to change your name, but you just might want to change how you're talking about yourself. Right. So I obviously always had this passion about someday I want to have a business. Um, and that someday came when I had been part of a large consulting practice and the organization decided that we were going to go away. I decided at that time that it was probably a good idea to reinvent myself, going back to your um, your theme here. And one of the things I'd recognized throughout my career is the value and the importance of leadership. So um, as my job was coming to an end there, I went and got my master's in organizational leadership because I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out, right? Mm -hmm. And um, through that process, I decided that I was going to launch Brighton Leadership Group because I saw, and this is one of the things that I talk about in my book, Your Leadership Voice, there is not an accepted definition of leadership. I mean, you know, we know from ERP, there's like what project management is, there's definitions of change, like there's all these definitions professionally. And there's lots of labels for leadership, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about authentic leadership and servant leadership and all these different kinds of leadership. But as I went and got my master's degree, I recognized there's no accepted definition of leadership. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. And I was observing all these different leaders. Now, a couple of things about those leaders, Some of the leaders I had in the course of my career helped me be my best. They saw things in me that enabled me to become even more of who I was meant to be. And then there was these leaders who made my life miserable. So I recognize this, you know, there's these leaders who make life magnificent and leaders who make life absolutely miserable. Wow. I thought we needed more leaders to make life magnificent. So all of that led me to this desire in creating Brighton Leadership Group. How do we help more leaders live in the authentic nature of who they are, right? Uncovering their potential, et cetera, and making more Mondays magnificent, which means that their teams come into work every single Monday, excited about their work and what they're about to do. So that's really where it came from, right? We need to make this world full of more magnificent leaders. So Donna, tell us more about why you love to make connections. So for me, this actually ties to my purpose, Gail. And I believe that every person needs to take that time to get really clear on their own personal why, right? I call it your powerful personal purpose. And I did this work, goodness, a couple decades ago, and it has been a driving force for me. And uh, my personal powerful purpose is to connect people with other people and ideas to transform their lives and organizations. And so that 
ties very closely, believe it or not, to my strength, which is making connections. One of the measures of wealth, according to my mentor, is discretionary time, which is a great, great concept, right? Which basically means you can always earn more money, but you're never going to get another minute. Like whatever time you have in your life, that's all you're ever going to have. So if you're busy spending all your time working, you're not going to get that back. So wealth is actually the ability to do with your time what you want. Great concept. But for me, I took a little different angle on that. For me, wealth is about relationships. It's about the people in my life that I invest in, that I interact with. And so I'm like, okay, well, if that is really wealth for me, hmm, how can I be intentional about the relationships? Which then led to the creation of a relationship strategy. And in that relationship strategy, I know this sounds absolutely crazy probably, but I love it because it helps me helps guide me in the t- in the time that I have to wisely spend it. So, I organized, I think there's five different categories and it's about sorting people into like is this just a delightful person that I encounter socially and I enjoy my time around them or is this person a friend that I want to invest time with? Or is this a person that I've just met and I want to explore the possibility of becoming friends? So I have all, you know, these different categories. And then at least on an annual basis, go back through that and evaluate. Now, also throughout the year, I might say, oh, I said this person was a really good friend and I haven't talked to them in a while. So you're also known for uh, in your book, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, or at least on your website, leadership like wine is both art and science. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Leadership Uncorked, the, an event yes. series presented by your Brighton Leadership Group. So where yes. did that idea stem from, Donna? Excellent question, Gail. So, and the origin story is probably a little unique. So my husband and, actually, husband and I work together in Brighton Leadership Group, and he happens to be extremely passionate about wine. So I would find him in his office. He'd be planning events. He would be organizing the the wine inventory. And I was like, all right, we need to figure out a way to take this passion and connect it to our leadership business. So we started thinking about what might that look like? And from that came Leadership Uncorked, which is connecting wine with learning and leadership and really bringing those together. And it's had different um, expressions over the years. So it was actually launched in 2015. We were on a trip in South Africa, enjoying the incredible wines of that country when we went live with Leadership Uncorked. And initially it was, my dream was to make it like a salon. So not talking about hair salons or brow salons or nail salons. That's where I went to. This is from back in the early 1900s. They would have something called salons where the artists, poets, thinkers of the day would gather and have these really fascinating conversations. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to create a space where we're bringing diverse people together with all different points of view to really have conversations So we offered things like we did a session for Berlin Change Days, where we created a learning experience for all the conference attendees. 
Um, another one was for the Ultimate Culture Conference. And it was really fun. Now, I have to have to um, give you the caveat here. We don't generally do this uh, like in the morning. It's usually <laughs> something that occurs later in the day because it does involve wine. Although you can always say it's five o'clock someplace, right? Mm, wine and Cheerios. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so at the Ultimate Culture Conference, an example of the of the um, type of programming we can do was we had the owner of the winery come and share a little bit about two wines that everybody was going to taste. And the idea is just creating an experiential lesson. So um, the, Dan was there and he talked about his two wines. Now they were made of the same varietal, which means the same kind of grape, right? And they were grown at the same time. They were also made by the same winemaker. The only difference in tasting these two different bottles of wine was where the grapes had been grown. And in wine terminology, you probably know that's called terroir. So the illustration was as people were tasting these two different glasses of wine, both Merlots, both grown in the same year, made by the same winemaker. One was valley floor fruit and one was mountain fruit. Mm. And it was fascinating because everybody had different points of view about which one they liked better. And the lesson that comes from that is just like people grow differently in different environments, grapes grow differently. And you'll get a different experience depending upon that environment. So valley floor, mountaintop, it wasn't like one was better than the other necessarily. It was different. And the key was finding fit. So it was a really fun way to be able to experience um, those two different tastes of wine and learn a little bit more about terroir. That's so interesting. And I see how what you just described with where the grapes are growing, how it ties back into you can't put a definition on leadership. So another thing we did was with the Executives Club of Chicago, we took a whole group of people through an experience. And I'll just give you one of the lessons or illustrations. So we had done a couple different tasting experiences similar to what I shared with you. And the concluding one was really fun. We had two glasses of red wine in front of every person. And we had already explained, you know, how to taste and how to describe. And we're pretty laid back when it comes to like, what are your thoughts on wine? But people were looking at these two different red wines and tasting them. And we were just asking what they thought they were. Everybody was like, oh, this is a California wine and this is a French wine and this. And so they had great guesses. But here was the secret. It was the same exact wine. One glass had been decanted for several hours. The other glass was fresh poured out of the bottle. Mm. And for those of your listeners who don't drink wine, aeration or the exposure of wine to air can create incredible changes in the wine. So the lesson that people took away once they learned that these two wines were exactly the same was that most people found the wine that had had air, right, had been aerated, um, they found that to be a lot softer, more approachable, just much more enjoyable. Mm. So what we tied that to is more margin in your life. If you had time and air, space, more space in your life, 
how might that mellow and soften you? What might that experience be? And how could that change other people's experience of you if you, in fact, gave yourself that time? So it was a really fun conversation we facilitated after that experience. You just blew my mind, Donna. So the lesson then is like, why don't we give ourselves that time, right? Right. Right. And you're thinking margin of time. And I even thought to the balance sheet, I went to margins, right? And leaders need to Mm -hmm. pay attention to their balance sheets and Mm -hmm. wow, and sit back and be a little creative and let it marinate and successful. Exactly. Exactly. So we've done all kinds of fun things like that. Experiences. We've done team events where we had the um, teams um, competing and creating charcuterie boards while they learned some wine lessons and figured out how to become a better team together. So yeah, all kinds of wonderful wine connections. Fun. Where's the next event? Well, that's a great question, Gail. We had planned, and it's still in the works, depending upon what's happening in the world around us. So we have a CEO retreat planned at, um, it's going to be just outside Barcelona in Spain. And it is going to be a magnificent event. It will be held at the number one sparkling winery in the world as of 2020, voted on by some of the top professionals in the world. So La Freshinetta, which makes my favorite cava in the whole world, and that's called Cansala. Um, yes, they won, they won for top sparkling. So we're going to be doing a day-long event where uh, leaders are going to have the opportunity to participate in some learning and education, as well as have a meal cooked by a Michelin star chef and taste through the portfolio of the extraordinary Cava's at La Freshinetta. Oh, that sounds lovely. And to travel again. I know. Yes. Um, We kept, it was really sad during the pandemic because we like had it planned and then we pushed it a little further and pushed it a little further. So now we're holding loosely, which mm-hmm. is one of the principles of reinvention, right? You set a plan and then you hold it loosely and see what emerges. So I'm sure something magnificent will emerge when the time comes. Why is this such an important concept for Leadership Uncork's mission? So I'll share a little earlier in my wine tasting career. <laughs> And I'm not an official taster. I'm just a great appreciator of wine. (laughs) Um, There was a time where I'd be very judgmental. And I'd be like, oh, this is terrible wine. And what I came to realize is that every wine has a story. And there's a wine for every person. So just because I didn't happen to appreciate that particular bottle of wine didn't mean it was horrible. It just meant it wasn't for me. And so that's really, um, I guess you asked about the lessons or the connection. That's really what that is for me is, is saying, let's value and appreciate the uniqueness of each individual where they are at and, um, and help uncork that potential within them. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And I wish our listeners could see your beautiful necklace that you're wearing of (laughs) silver grapes. Very yes, pretty. this actually, this came from a fabulous little wine town, LaGuardia in Spain. And I look forward to the day I can get back there. And you can accessorize if you get back there. Yes. Get back to that boutique. Yes. 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 So Donna, you wrote an article on the importance of culture and why caring for culture is likened to self-care. 
It's a regular practice, not something leaders should only think about quarterly or annually. So how do you teach leaders to integrate success in their company's culture? Yes. So you're making that connection, Gail, between the personal and organizational. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because anytime that you're reinventing or making change in your life, I really believe it it gives you the opportunity to reevaluate your habits, right? And so if you think about it in an organization, culture is really like organizational habits, right? It's the things that are consistently done. And if leaders don't reinforce good habits, bad habits can start to emerge. So I believe, and I not just believe, but I have observed in organizations when there is not a clear and consistent focus on the culture, meaning reinforcing the behaviors that the leaders expect and recognizing when that, you know, they're actually done. What we found out in having conversations with the people were they started defining the values based on what they thought mattered because there had been no reinforcement in the organization about their definitions, right? So they morphed into what the employees decided they should be. So as an example, one of the values was we do the right thing, which sounds like a really great value. And how the organization defined it was one way, but what the employees did was, well, you know, we should do the right thing. That means that when a policyholder calls and they want a claim to be covered, well, yeah, they actually hadn't been a policyholder yet, but doing the right thing by the customer, we're going to go ahead and honor that anyhow. It sounds really good, but that's actually illegal. So um, we had situations where because they defined things differently. Oh, another example was, um, you know, we do the right thing. Well, that would mean you never terminate anybody, right? Like we Mm. always do the right thing. So we're going to hold on to our people forever and always take good care of them. Well, that's not always the case. And some people got let go. And then all of a sudden we weren't living our values. So bottom line, if the leaders are not intentional about reinforcing the values, the behaviors that matter in the culture, everybody's going to start doing their own thing in their own way. And you get a sloppy culture that starts shifting and you don't get the value out of a really strong culture. Mm -hmm behavior is so important. It really is. It really is. And uh, um, can I share a funny story? Um, I was working with one leader and he was uh, the CEO over a very large um, NGO. And he was really resistant to this idea of like, I don't want to have to define my culture. He's, he felt that would be in some way biased or not inclusive, right? Because all of a sudden you're saying, these are the behaviors that matter most to us. And as we had the conversation, he, he came up with this brilliant analogy and he shared, he was like, oh, I get it. He's like having a very clear or strong culture is kind of like if you go to McDonald's, you don't expect to get pizza. And if you go to Pizza Hut, you're not expecting to eat um, some pad thai, right? You clearly know what's expected in each organization. And that's the value of of strong culture is, you know, what's in and out of the boundaries. Everybody follows it. It means less rules. 
it means um, greater levels of performance, right? Which every leader wants. And it's free if you're really clear and consistent in reinforcing the culture that you want. Yes, I love that because it goes back to what we were talking about. There's a place for everyone. So there's rules that you have to abide by for the culture to produce good behaviors, but there's a home for everyone. Mm -hmm. So you have to have rules and still being inclusive. Yes, yes. So clarity about the behaviors that work at this organization help you understand, hey, I don't fit here. That's awesome. Because mm-hmm. then you know, to, it's as I like to say to leaders, then you have the opportunity to release someone to their destiny. And they have the opportunity to move to a place where they truly are a better fit and they're going to be happier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all can think of an example or two of that about ourselves. So we, yes. we went back to talking about how leaders focus on profitability, right? So thinking about that P&L statement for a minute. Mm-hmm. How do you encourage mm-hmm. leaders, Donna, to create an environment where it benefits both the stakeholders and the employees? That's a wonderful, Gail. And I would love to connect that question to a movement of conscious capitalism where they have four tenants and they believe in having a higher purpose being oriented to the stakeholders, right? So not just employees, not just customers, but like the whole entire stakeholder ecosystem, practicing conscious leadership and having conscious culture. And I like to say, you know, you were asking about um, creating an environment, so that culture where it benefits both the stakeholders. So it's yes, the customers, but I'd like to say beyond that, it's the people impacted by the organization inside and out it's the profit because you can't have a business if you don't make a profit let's mm-hmm. be real it's the purpose getting clear and aligned around the purpose of the organization and paying attention to the planet right the impact of your organization on the planet so all four of those things um, i think matter and you have the opportunity as a leader to figure out how the culture or behaviors that you practice support all of those areas mm-hmm. love it so for the four steps having a conscious culture, if I heard you correctly. Yes. Very good. So what advice, Donna, would you give leaders with respect to how they incorporate leadership uncorked into their personal lives? Well, just as I said, leadership means a lot of different things to a lot of people. If you're a wine fan, I would say drink more, but I'm just (laughs) kidding, but I'm not. Um, So I would say the idea around wine for me is I love learning and growth. And all of my wine experiences, yeah, you get to taste wine and that's really fun, but I can't tell you how amazing it has been to just learn and experience all the different wineries I've been to around the world and then the people. So for me, the the joy of Leadership Uncorked is continuous learning and growth as well as the opportunity to build and form relationships that last. So that would be my suggestion as leaders think about incorporating leadership on court. Um, yeah, grow. Don't ever stop growing and learning. Mm-hmm. So learning and growth relationships, and um, and we talked also uh, Gail about the uniqueness, right? How people are unique and who they are. So getting clear on who you are, your personal purpose, and living your leadership potential. Mm -hmm. That's staying curious, right? To always be learning. 
Someone told me when I went back to grad school, like no one will ever be able to take away that education, that piece of paper, that diploma yes. from you. That's yeah. right. That's beautiful. So speaking of beautiful, you live life with intention. One of yes. another amazing quality about you. So sit back and take a deep breath here as we switch into living life with intention okay. and picture yourself driving to Sedona, Arizona. You look up on the highway and you see the majestic red rocks. But you also catch the following billboard about yourself. The Donna you meet one year from now will not be the Donna you met today. Created by your husband, Scott Belke, CEO, executive coach and advisor and leadership uncorked founder, along with you. So when I asked Scott, why did those words describe your very essence, Donna? He said in his own words, Donna is a learner and is constantly looking to improve herself and those around her. I would also say she is one of the most caring and genuine people I've ever known. Mm. So to me, he sounds like the wind beneath your wings. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Powerful combination. Mm -hmm. So speaking of your husband, Scott, the date, March 23rd, 2023, was mm -hmm. a significant date to you both. So tell us a little yes. bit about that. So it actually goes back to January of 2020. Um, so what a fun fact about me is I'm a geek about dates. I find them really fun and interesting. And so it's the beginning of 2020 and I'm recognizing, ooh, 2020 to 2030. And this concept came to mind called the decade of destiny. And I'm like, ooh, this sounds really good. So then I started saying, wow, we're going to have this decade of destiny. And I kept talking about that. And then I realized I'm not really sure what that means. Mm -hmm. So um, so <laughs> we sat down and we did some planning together. And we actually outlined what our goals were going to be in order to accomplish and achieve and live out that decade of destiny. And to your question, Gail, one of those items was that we are going to relocate from Chicago, Illinois to Scottsdale, Arizona. And that would be complete by 3-23-23. See the pattern there? Yeah. <laughs> and so that was our decision and our goal. Only we overachieved a little bit. That's right. So in the midst of the pandemic, um, decided that we are going to um, make that transition a little sooner. And as of last December, became official residents of Arizona. Congratulations. Thank you. So I love your question there in terms of living life with intention, because a lot of times people might think like, oh, well, why should I set a goal? And, and yes, you need a goal and you need a plan and all those things. But just having taken the time, right? Instead of just saying, oh, we're going to have this decade of destiny. We took the time and actually said, here's what we're going to accomplish. And we put a date around it. Okay, so what? We like managed to overachieve. But the point is, it was really exciting to be able to cross that one off and say, mm -hmm. yes, we did it. Yeah, it was on your to-do list. You held each other accountable with those goals. Yes. And you achieved them, if not Absolutely. on time before, like you're saying. Yes. I think that that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And give us an overview of why living life with intention is vital to one's success. Mm. So, I mean, life is going to pass us by, 
right? I remember, and I actually frequently remind myself of this whenever I'm trying to make a big decision, like, do I really want to whatever, sign up for this or attend that? Like, even when I was going to get my master's degree, it was like, well, those couple years are going to pass and I can have a degree or not have a degree, but the years are still going to pass, right? So it's sort of like recognizing about life as a gift. And so if you think of it in that term, it's how am I going to spend that gift, use that gift, invest that gift. And that for me is the idea of living with intention. Mm-hmm. So it can be very small as well as really big. And an example of the really small. So it was a couple of, and how for me that this works is asking really good questions. I believe that all change begins with an excellent question. Mm-hmm. Because questions open the mind, whereas statements or answers actually close your mind, right? Like if I just tell you a quote, you'll be like, oh, that's really nice. But if I ask you a question, you know, like what one thing can you do or can you change in your life that will help live you, help you live your life purpose more fully? It's like, hmm, right? All of a sudden you're like, hmm, okay, let me think about that. So. I share that because living intentionally for me isn't just about setting the intention. It's about starting with good questions. Mm -hmm. Good open-ended questions. Yes, exactly. You picked up on that, Gail. Good. (laughs) So yes, asking good questions. And so I actually collect questions. And what do you do with the collection? I do. Yes. What do you do with the collection? So um, a couple different things. I use them in terms of thinking about conversations. And another fun thing, I know this again, wasn't what we had initially planned to talk about, but I created something, it's called um, the leadership question cards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I actually took some of my favorite questions in key areas for leaders and um, captured them in a deck of cards. Yes, so I do that. And then back to living life with intention, there's some questions I ask myself on a regular basis. And um, just from like evaluating and challenging. And so one of my personal values is continuous improvement. And in order to continuously improve, you have to ask questions, you know, like, is there a better way to do this? Is, am I getting the optimal outcome, et cetera? So back to being intentional by having that level of clarity that wealth is relationships. So that means I want to build and grow relationships. So consequently, I better do something about it. And that led to the relationship strategy, which then I reference and evaluate and continuously update. Mm -hmm. And and risk-taking comes to mind too with everything Mm -hmm. you're saying, right? These are great steps if someone's pondering with taking that leap, that risk. Mm -hmm. And it's not about thinking about the whole enchilada. It's taking one step thoughtful step at a time to your point. For sure. Mm -hmm. Donna, you have a four minute video out there on LinkedIn where you mentioned that how you speak to yourself matters. Share with the listeners the power in that mindset. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the one you're talking about, Gail. Um, And if it's not, you can shift my my focus here. But it was um, a powerful statement that I heard Mm, a couple years ago, which is that your words create your world, which sounds really simple, right? Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. But to really think about it, that the way in which you speak actually shapes what's happening around you. 
And so I'll give you an example. So many times I hear from leaders, oh, you know, I'm just not looking forward to this. I need to have a really difficult conversation with so-and-so and I've just been putting it off. Hey, can you help coach me to how to have this difficult conversation? Well, well, let's start off with those words just created the world that that leader needs to live in, right? So they've been putting it off. They said, I really don't want to do this. And they keep calling it a difficult conversation. If you call it a difficult conversation, what's it going to be, right? Difficult. You're setting yourself up. <laughs> so whether it's the, so um, just to close that out, what I recommend is pay attention to that language and change it so that it's not difficult. So I say, well, what if instead of a difficult conversation, you just like, have an alignment conversation because clearly you're out of alignment. They have this view and you have that view. And because if you walk into somebody and say, well, I, Gail, we need to have a difficult conversation. I mean, what's that setting you up for? Not good. There goes so my wall. My whether wall it's goes a difficult conversation. Yes. <laughs> whether it's a difficult conversation or anything else in life, pay attention to the way you talk about it. And I've been really catching myself because sometimes, you know, you try to be a little self-deprecating. Oh, I'm not that good. Well, why would you say that, right? So back to um, thinking about the questions you ask yourself and the words that you speak. If you don't like the world you're living in or you're not happy with something, think about how you're talking about it and just change the way you talk about it. Well, I love chatting with you. It's great to see you and thank you for being with us. Thanks, Gail, and I wish you great success with Theodora Speaks and this wonderful new adventure you're on. Thank you to Donna Brighton for sharing her inspiring story with us. A special thank you to her husband, Scott, for helping celebrate Donna. And a sincere thank you to you, our valued listeners, and to New Voice Studios for producing our podcast series. The three key takeaways from today's conversation are, one, be curious, invest in your learning. Donna calls this the compound learning effect. Number two, have clear values. If you do, they will produce good behavior. And that is inclusive. And lastly, your words create your world. In closing, Please visit gailkeller.org for more information on how I empower corporations and universities with respect to gender inclusion and women in tech with respect to taking risks in their professional lives to reinvent themselves via personal transformation to live more fulfilled and balanced work-life integration. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.